This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Um, we have three guests this week. They are um, they're all exceptional at what they do. They are my colleagues at The Athletic and the co-authors of a recent piece on allegations of sexual assault and a reckoning for Hockey Canada. The guests are Katie Strang, Dan Robeson, and Ian Mendes. If, uh, if you read hockey, uh, you probably are aware of... Uh, all three of them, and we discussed their reporting on um, on the alleged incidents that happened in London, Ontario in uh, June of 2018, how one goes about reporting that kind of story, the, uh, the state of hockey culture, and, um, and what could or might happen with Hockey Canada as more information continues to come out. And then just a lot about the process. How do these stories come about? How do uh, how do they ultimately get published? Katie Strang may be the current best investigative reporter at this now. And so um, if you're interested in sort of the behind the scenes of like how something like this comes together for an outlet, no better person to talk to than Katie Strang. I appreciate everybody's um, support of this podcast. Try to have uh, some unique and diverse guests on here so if you like it uh please leave us a five-star review and a nice note wherever you get your podcast apple stitcher google play spotify etc um that's how the podcast uh, continues to stay so katie strang dan ropes and anina mendez of the athletic coming up on the sports media podcast all right as i said at the top katie strang dan robson ian mendez they're all accomplished writers at the athletic i think their titles are senior writers uh, maybe Katie's title is investigative reporter, but um, I mean, these are three of the best colleagues that I have. They're the co-authors of a recent piece on The Athletic on allegations of sexual assault and a reckoning for Hockey Canada. Um, it's a very, very important story. I think obviously as everybody in the audience knows now, I'm an American living in Toronto, so this has really been a major, major story in Canada, but the themes of this story and sort of the underbelly of the story um, is not just a Canadian story, but connects uh, globally when it comes to sports. I'm pleased to be joined by Katie Strang, Dan Robson, and Ian Mendez on the Sports Media Podcast. Katie, I want to start with you. You've worked on stories of sexual assault before, and you've been on this podcast talking about your reporting there. Can you um, sort of, for the group, uh, 
and for my listeners, just give a sense of how this story begins when it comes to the athletics involvement in the reporting. Sure. So what happened was there was an alleged sexual assault that occurred in June 2018. Um, and the young woman involved, um, you know, who was the alleged victim in that assault ended up filing a statement of claim with the Ontario Superior Court of Justice in April of this year. So April of 2022. And within a few weeks, Hockey Canada um, settled that case. Uh, So the lawsuit never moved forward, but um, TSN actually first reported news of that settlement. So that's when the athletic first became involved in that reporting and really um, the story has unfurled and there have been quite a few layers that have been peeled back even um, from that initial report in late May. Okay, we'll get to some of those layers. Ian, I want to go to you. When it comes to um, when it comes to a story when multiple people at a place like The Athletic work on it, how, how do you approach the reporting when it's a group of reporters? Can you take the audience sort of inside how like uh, reporting would get parceled out on this one between you, Dan, and Katie? Yeah, and you know what? Um, we've been fortunate uh, to have done a couple of stories together amongst the three of us where... Uh, we did a deep dive into the ownership of the Ottawa Senators and, and Eugene Melnick. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did uh, another piece looking at sort of how uh, you know rape culture has permeated junior hockey over the years. So, uh, this, you know, I think we've got a pretty comfortable working relationship amongst the three of us where I think we do a really good job of delegating. And there's a lot, as, as Katie and Dan will, will talk about here, I'm sure, there's a lot of grunt work involved in this, a lot of trying to track down um, you know, pieces of information, uh, access to information here in Canada through the, uh, you know, through the government and, and court system. And so a lot of it is, hey, you take this, I'll take this, you take this. And we, we've been connecting quite a bit. I mean, we have a, a group chat uh, that, that is uh, seemingly more active than any group chat that I'm involved with uh, in, in my life right now. And we, I think we do a really good job of delegating. And, and I think the, the best thing for me, and I've said this a, a couple of times, is I believe that Katie is, um, you know, as good of an investigative reporter that we have in the sports world. Dan is um, probably the best feature writer in the sports world. And I feel like I bring an element of, hey, I've covered the NHL for 20 years as a beat reporter. So I think each of us comes at this with a different kind of strength and a different uh, background. And I think it really helps that all of us, we're not, we all have different strengths. And I think we're able to, to kind of lean on that. Yeah, no, I've said this before. Katie Strang is my singular favorite colleague at The Athletic, and that's not a knock on anybody else I work with who is super talented. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there are people like in life who uh, like are fans of Star Wars or, you know, fans of Marvel comics. Like I'm on the Katie Strang train. Um, she, uh, um, the stuff that she does is just phenomenal. Uh, she's not going to be happy with me just going over the top here, but I just have such immense uh, respect for her um, reporting. Um, and it's always worth saying that publicly, Dan, um, you know, um, Ian mentioned, uh, grunt work. And when you read the piece that you guys did, what's really stands out to me, and this is kind of a journalism kind of thing is there's a lot of details. Like somebody went to like the hotel where these players stayed so that you can get like a visual on what it looked like. There's small details about the, um, Hockey Canada Foundation gala and golf event 
where these allegations that sort of weekend are alleged to take place. So for you, um, what did you have to do on this? What was your sort of grunt work role in terms of uh, the reporting or were you, did you handle the writing of this? Cause it is the piece that you guys did. It is not in addition to the excellent reporting. It's really well written. It's, it's really featureized. Uh, actually it was um, when we first set out to do the story, we, we said we need to get, to the heart of where this took place, where the alleged incident took place. So our, our goal right away was to paint a portrait for our readers of that event in London, Ontario, what London, Ontario is, because it is a uniquely uh, significant place in the hockey community within Canada. Um, it's sort of, it's been described as sort of a hockey mecca. It's a place where you almost have, have like 9,000 uh, fans going to junior hockey games. So it's a significant place in that regard. And I think we need to tell that story. Uh, and so actually Katie and I both went to London uh, together and, and basically retraced the steps of the world junior uh, hockey or the, 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 the hockey Canada foundation gala and golf tournament. Um, we went to the golf course, we went to all the bars, we went to the hotel, we went, to, you know, and basically walked those streets. And I think as a, as a feature writer, I think that's an incredibly important thing to do to be able to place a uh, the reader in that space and to be able to see what someone else might have seen and might have experienced. Um, and so I, I'm glad that that came through in our story. We were there for several days. And it, also just in terms of the reporting, um, you find a lot of information just by talking to people and being in, in a space. And you can do a lot over the phone, obviously, reaching out by social media, but I still don't believe anything replaces the value of on the ground reporting. So I was grateful that we were able to go and do that together. Katie, um, you, you know you have expertise in hockey. You, have, you were a, um, you've been a baseball reporter as well. So I, I would not sort of go far as to say that like the enabling of this stuff is a solely a hockey problem, even though it is a hockey problem. And I wonder when you're doing this because you have done this kind of previous work, um, how much of, how much of this is at its core about adults? enabling a rampant culture for uh, young star athletes in sports, how much of it is about something else? Or am I being too universal and not being like, this is a specific thing that happened at this specific time and don't make it broader because all of these incidents are individual things? No, I don't think we should look at it in isolation because I do think there are broader themes that surface in this particular case that resonate beyond just um, junior hockey and beyond just hockey in general. I would say, you know, the biggest thing that I tell people is when I do an investigation, particularly one that relates to sexual abuse or misconduct, um, you know, you almost always start with the alleged incident, the alleged perpetrator, victim, and start really narrow. And then invariably, it will become, you know, an exercise in panning out to examine the institution. And that it's almost always twofold in that way. And that is certainly the case um, with this specific incident. There's the incident itself. And then there's this broader theme of, you know, institutional protectionism and Hockey Canada being a very powerful you know, national governing body, a behemoth that is very deeply entrenched in, you know, Canadian culture. Um, and, you know, I think, listen, abuse is rampant in sports in general. I think whenever there's a, a 
you know, a really, <laughs> if there's power and influence and money to be made at the expense of potentially like athlete safety and well-being, um, you are going to see abuse. And that is not um, limited to hockey. I do think there are some cultural elements of hockey that are unique. And um, those have certainly surfaced in this case. Like I think in hockey, there is much more of a culture of silence um, of the collective that you do not want to speak up. Um, you know, even if it may help others, you don't want to become a distraction. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to disrupt the status quo. You know, there's a real fetishization of stoicism in hockey. And so that can really kind of, you know, perpetuate this culture of silence. So we tried to be really mindful of all those both specific and broader themes because, you know, our goal with this particular story was to contextualize. And so we hope that, you know, we were able to accomplish that. Ian, as um, someone who's Canadian and someone who's obviously covered hockey for a long time, how much, um, and again, I don't, I don't want to stereotype because I, I, individuals sort of will read these stories and process them on an individual level. But sort of over the course of time, how much of this has been sort of like a boys will be boys kind of thing and let the let the players, you know, blow off steam and celebrate so it's okay if they go to a, a bar? Like, it, it feels like to me, and maybe I'm generalizing or stereotyping that there was a thought process on, I'm not sort of getting into rape or sexual assault, but there was a thought process for a long time about like, you know, play hard, celebrate hard. And that's sort of the Canadian way. I wonder if that, if some of these stories that are now coming to light will at least change the sort of larger perception of, of the, the real seriousness that that kind of attitude can, uh, you know, what can come from that kind of attitude? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think what's most jarring about the alleged incident in 2018 uh, that may have involved up to eight hockey players is that you would have sworn that that's a story from 1985 or 1990 or, you know, from an era that has long since uh, been in the rearview mirror. And yet, clearly, it's a pervasive problem up until 2018, which leads you to think we're at the tip of the iceberg here that. Um, you know, historically, for whatever reason, you know, predators and that, that sort of type of behavior though, has been allowed to thrive in the underbelly of hockey. And I think, you know, I think there's a great discussion to be had about the media's role here. I really do. And I think this is perfect for your podcast, because I know this is kind of right up your alley. But I, I think we need to take some accountability in the media and ask ourselves, though, and, and I'll say this as somebody who's covered this sport for 20 years. Like, why have I not been on these types of stories? And, and why is it that we often say, you know, these aren't stories that the beat writers can break or these aren't the types of stories that the, uh, uh, you know, the, the big insiders. It's got to be a, a quote unquote outsider, a, a Katie Strang who doesn't cover the sport uh, the way that I do or a Rick Westhead who is same thing. And I think that that's part of the issue, that there is a cone of silence that not only envelops, in my opinion, uh, the players, the executives. But I think the media, too. And I think there needs to be a day of reckoning for all of us that cover this sport, that are involved in this sport to say, like, why have we not created an environment that whistleblowing is encouraged? That you're right, Richard, like the, the boys will be boys um, has sort of 
you know, been able to go on for decades here. And all of us are complicit in this, like myself included. Anybody who's covered this sport for a long time needs to ask themselves, what are we doing um, with this information? And I think it's really important to see, you know, who's reporting on this case, how they're amplifying it in, in, in the weeks ahead here. Because to me, if we don't shine a light on it, we're going to continue to do what we've done in the last 20 years, which is clearly put our heads in the sand. And I think that's fair. And I, th- I think there's a, uh, I think there's a lot of guilt to go around, including all of us who've, uh, who've covered stuff over the years. Um, Dan, is there anything you wanted to, um, sort of add to the, the sort of the last two thoughts there from Katie and, uh, um, and Ian? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the most, uh, heartbreaking things about reporting on this is, you know, we, we went back previous to the story when these are first allegations first came out and wrote, um, basically about a history of sexual violence in junior hockey and something that, um, as Ian alluded to is, um, you know, a story that seems decades old and it is a story that's been decades old, but it's also a story that's carried on for decades. And, um, for me, you know, someone who grew up playing hockey and, and loves the sport and sort of being a Canadian, you know, I, I'm deeply ingrained in that sort of, um, you know, nostalgia for this game. It's just devastating to see this continue to come out and to know that sadly there's likely much more to come out um, and, and to know somewhat the culture that it exists within, you know, you mentioned media, um, you know, I, as I said before, played hockey. So I know the world of, um, you know, protect your own, be, you know, we don't, don't, don't talk about things we shouldn't talk about. Don't step out of line. And, and I, I do think the cracks in that are, are starting to show and, and it's crumbling, but are starting to crumble, but I'm not sure how long it's going to take uh, before we stop having, we stop sort of having to hear and write about these kinds of uh, terrible stories. Katie, I want to ask you about um, two, these are sort of two specific reporting questions and how you go about doing this. And when I say you, it's sort of the collective you of your group. Um, there's a, a piece in the, uh, there, there's a part in the piece that you guys wrote where you say the athletic made multiple attempts via email and text messages to connect with seven lawyers representing some of the players. And again, this is some of the players um, who um, were part of that uh, world junior um hockey team. And then there's another um, part here where the reporters at The Athletic um, attempt to um, see if the woman who has made these allegations uh, wants to talk publicly and you're um, going through her lawyer. And, and those, um, you, you know, that basically the, the, the lawyer says that we're, we're not talking publicly. So I'm wondering, Katie, just if you can, um, like in terms of like a real process question, like how do you go about doing that? Do you do you, do you divvy it up between the three of you, and you you all call different lawyers? One of you takes the the person um, who's posing these allegations. How does that how does that break down? Yeah, I mean, we've done a pretty good job, probably because of my toxic bossiness. Like the delegation gets easier because I'm like just such a bossy human being um, in general, and these guys indulge me in that, and I love them for it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like we've, we, I feel like we've divvied it up pretty fairly and like, you know, we'll, I mean, certainly with those, I think seven lawyers, like, you know, we each kind of took some and, and reached out to others. Um, you know, you never know, like when uh, an attorney or a person of interest or 
you know, someone involved in the story might respond to one person better. I mean, we take, we make those sort of like micro calculations when we're reaching out to someone like who might respond better to Dan, like as a former hockey player himself, or, you know, a really superlative like feature writer who might respond to me, maybe like as a woman or someone that has written about sexual assault a lot, like, you know, Ian, like being so plugged in, in the like hockey ecosystem. So we make those like calculations all the time. Sometimes it feels like we're trying to like outsmart ourselves by playing like 4D chess of, of, um, you know, kind of risk calculus of, in, of how we're going to succeed. But, um, yeah, it's been a really, you know, sort of nice way to divvy up the workload because as Ian said, like it, it, really labor intensive there's a ton of grunt work and you know if I can just add to this you know doing this type of work is is not um an easy lift like it's it's pretty heavy emotional labor and it can be very stressful um but the main thing it can really be and what I find is really isolating so you know when I've had to you know do these stories on my own before it's really nerve-wracking it's you doubt yourself a lot um you know, it, it's very stressful. And so I'm like, so thankful that these guys have been just like, so eager and willing to really like walk through the fire on this type of reporting. Um, and and we, it's been such a wonderful sense of like, truly community amongst us three, like we've, we've bounced things off of each other, like we've supported each other. Um, you know, Dan and I were pretty much connected at the hip for a couple weeks straight. And, you know, he's definitely had to talk me off the ledge on a few different occasions. And and so it's, it's really nice to be able to approach this as a team, not just in terms of, you know, de- pure delegation and pure, you know, who's going to be a better good cop or bad cop in the situation, but like as a true support system, it's been really wonderful. Um, I'm going to go back to you, Dan. Um, I have not done a ton of this reporting. I actually worked on one story with Katie, so I got a little bit of a glimpse into her world. That that story was um, was never published for for a variety of reasons. The um, but when you're making these calls or emails, uh, what I what I am curious about, and again, because I really haven't done a ton of this, is do the lawyers try to find what you guys know? Like, are they? Is there any kind of off the record where? they're trying to probe you in terms of, hey, does a reporter here know more than I do as the lawyer representing my client? What what did what have what do you found what have you found when you're going through that process? But I think there's always an exchange. I mean if there's somebody who knows something, um, I think it's fair to assume there's a reason that they're telling it to you. And so I think that's one area where um, you know, we have these discussions and we get information and we discuss, you know, about information perhaps that's being released. We, we, we collectively have a conversation about sort of what is the use of that information and what is the intent behind it? And also uh, I do believe people try to fish, sort of figure out what, you know, I mean, there's sort of a, especially with a story like this, everybody's trying to um, get a sense of where everybody else is and then what's going on and, and what they can get from each other. So um, that's a bit of a, a dance. And it's it's one that we also try to be very wary of collectively. And, and to Katie's point, I mean, having a, having a group work on something like this, um, and we did this previously, we worked on the Eugene Melnick story together for quite some time. Um, it's, it's such a reassurance and a support to sort of be able to um, just almost have that brain trust to have 
you know, Katie's exceptional investigative reporting experience and Ian's exceptional, um, you know, contacts and knowledge within the industry. And, and just to be able to sort of bounce that off of each other and, and figure out, um, you know, or, or make sure that we're staying focused on, on the information we need and, and trying to sort of understand, you know, what information is being given to us and, and why. Yeah. I appreciated your, uh, Melnick reporting. I, uh, got into an interesting back and forth with my old, uh, Sportsnet uh, colleagues Bob McCowan and John Shannon, who uh, saw that piece perhaps differently than I did, but I, w- I was happy to stand up f- for you guys because uh, I thought it was an important piece. Ian, um, you know, a lot of what we've talked about so far is obviously it's very factual based. Now, now I want to ask you sort of for an opinion. Um, it's very hard for me to sort of swallow that Hockey Canada officials did not know as much as I would think officials would know at a certain point. I'm not saying that they would know everything that allegedly or did not allegedly go down, but there's comments in your piece about they're insisting they didn't know who the eight John Doe defendants were. Um, There are executives who are telling standing committees that they don't know the identities. They don't know what happened, but you know they find the conduct unacceptable and incompatible. Like, of course, you find that conduct unacceptable, incompatible. So, just as a layperson fan, like, what am I to take from that? Like, am I really to take that Hockey Canada officials truly were blindsided by all of this when it happened? Because it's a little hard for me to swallow when we have recently discovered that they literally had a fund to fight these kind of allegations if, if, it, if it got to court. Yeah, I, I think it, that was the most um, difficult thing to try and comprehend was them saying we didn't know or we don't know the identities of those players. Well, the odds that you would settle a lawsuit as they did uh, in the spring of 2022 without knowing the details, see, uh, that doesn't seem within reason. I, I don't know of many <clears throat> lawyers who would probably recommend that uh, you settle without getting the details. So that one seemed to be a little bit of a reach. And, I, you know, I think either there's the only two possible outcomes here. Either, you know, Hockey Canada was, you know, willfully ignorant or they were willfully, um, you know, complicit. And I, I don't know which one is worse, to be honest with you. I, I think they're, 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 they're both uh, bad outcomes. I think this week we're going to get some answers. Again, there's going to be um, a parliamentary subcommittee hearing that I'm going to attend in person here in Ottawa uh, Tuesday and Wednesday this week. And I think we're going to get some more information out of that and how Hockey Canada could have ignored this. Uh, it, you know, Again, I, I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's possible that you were completely unaware of what was going on. And, and, and I think there's been some terrific reporting this week, whether it's uh, in the last couple of weeks, whether it's Request Head or what we've done or uh, Canadian Press and the Globe and Mail, I, I feel like there are four or five entities that are chasing down this story um, on behalf of, of people in Canada. And I think we're going to get some answers, but I think the answers that have been given to this point have been very, very unsatisfactory. Uh, let me just point out, like, or let me just sort of offer at the moment, and I'm glad you said this, Ian, that I, I don't know what the highest journalism award is in Canada, but Rick Westhead should get it just for this, for everything he has done on the story and, and other stories. Um, the, the stuff that that guy has produced is remarkable. He's really courageous and brave and, and has challenged like the NHL at the highest level. So 
Um, I mean, kudos to that guy. That that's a reporter, a reporter excellence. Uh, Kate, I want to ask. I want to go back to you. Um, from my world, the media world, one of the things that you learn is that, like, honestly, shit gets done when the people who pay the bills start to get mad. Sponsors, like, public outcry is one thing, and I wish we lived in a world where, like. If the public is disgusted with something or if citizens are discussing with something, things change. But quite frankly, we see that in Washington, D.C., that that's not the case. And for me, one of the things I was looking at when it came to this story is like, what are the Tim Hortons and Scotiabanks and the Canadian Tires? Like, these are people who sponsor Hockey Canada. Like, what are they saying? And if I'm right about where the update is, those companies have said either they're going to withdraw sponsorship or they have withdrawn sponsorship from your reporting on, on this over the course of your career, um, when it comes to sexual assault and elsewhere, like, have you found that too, that ultimately, like, it's one thing for these places, the U S gymnast, USA gymnastics of the world to say, like, we're going to change, but really it honestly only feels like they change when the money, the people who have the money who support this stuff, tell them that they must change, that it becomes too much for the corporate world. Yeah. I mean, I think the most um, sort of, I think the thing that is often the impetus for change is when an organization gets hit hard, um, you know, in, in terms of financials. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's why you see, you know, civil litigation, you know, prompting new information. That's why you see, you know, civil litigation prompting corporate governance reviews and institutional, you know, uh, turnover and such. Um, money talks. And I think that's, you know, at the root of a lot of the corruption within, you know, sports organization, you know, money and power, and probably like the, you know, sort of insatiable desire for prestige. Um you know, medals, certainly in the USA Gymnastics case. Um, but yeah, I, I do think money talks. I, I think the fact that those major Canadian sponsors in this case, like took a pretty hard line stance was, um, especially as like Amer an American, I don't feel like we see that a ton um, here. And also, I would just say, I, I was pretty impressed with the parliamentary hearings, um, especially, you know, we've watched probably a ton of like congressional committees and, and sometimes those can be fruitful, but a lot of times, you know, there's political grandstanding and, um, you know, maybe not a ton of really fruitful questions and answers. Um, but I felt like the parliamentarians like had really straightforward, effective questions for Hockey Canada officials and it yielded some really useful germane information that I think has set the tone for the reporting that has followed. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the upcoming hearings because, you know, they have a, even a wider breadth of documents to work with um, and, uh, you know, a, a more expansive list of witnesses at their disposal. So I give them credit for, for how seriously they've taken this and, and the amount of information they've been able to uncover with, you know, their, you know, their oversight powers. This is for either uh, Dan or Ian, um, or both of you guys want to answer it. The, um, the 2018, uh, allegations are, are pretty, um, 
disgusting enough. Uh, but what we have recently learned, thanks to Rick Westhead, is police in Halifax have opened an investigation into an alleged sexual assault involving members of Hockey Canada's 2003 national um, junior team. And there's um, notes in there that there's a member of parliament who's in um, possession of information from witnesses, maybe some kind of like video from the that 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 night or 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 when that happened. Uh, also, I guess I'll start with you, Ian. It, you know, it's again, I think people are have their feelings about what happened in 2018. And I think if you're, you know, sort of a right minded person, you're you're you know, you're you're you, you find it just absolutely gross. Uh, but now it feels like this 20. This 2003 news, that's where it gets to the sort of the real like hockey culture and how this has been going on for multiple generations. And I realize that like a, you know, a second case shouldn't like somehow like way more than this first case. But I, I, I don't know how like just as a right minded person, you know, after then learning there is a second what looks like horrific incident in 2003, you're like like why does hockey count exist like you know what i'm saying like what what's going on in that organization how did you see it when you learned of that uh that news from the the 2003 investigation yeah it was uh, it was jarring to say the least and i think you know when when we did that story a few weeks ago about um uh, you know how hockey culture has been sort of uh the background for these sort of uh sexual assaults in the past you know, one thing that really resonated with me when we spoke to either, um, you know, rape survivors, experts in the field, that uh, that sort of thing, is that the mindset of these players is they dehumanize the women. That the women aren't even, um, they're not treated as human beings. They're simply objects in a bizarre sort of ritualistic team bonding activity. And I think for the majority of us, we can't even comprehend that. Like we we, it doesn't even we don't even understand how that is possible. So when you see this particular story that Rick Westhead was the first to report on um, and you read some of the details and it's alleged that they were videotaping this, um, it shows you that a, they were so brazen, but B they are unaware that they are doing something wrong. And I think that that really speaks to the culture of hockey. Think about the fact that you would videotape this and not even think twice about what you're doing. It is, um, again, it is truly uh, eye-opening. I think it is a great example of the mentality that has existed. And I would not be shocked if at some point in the next few weeks, another story comes out involving hockey players that um, another person feels comfortable stepping forward. I think, again, at the end of the day, we have not created an environment that has enabled victims of abuse to speak out in hockey. That, that culture and that environment does not exist. And I am sure that there are other stories that are probably as horrifying as this one uh, that are sitting in the darkness waiting for uh, someone to shine a light on it. All right, a couple more here, and then I'll let you guys uh, go about your day. Um, Dan, there are now um, hearings before the Parliament of Canada where Hockey Canada officials will face questions um for the americans who are listening in the audience can you explain what's what's going to happen with those hearings and i mean you know if you can you know a rough cliff notes uh, version of what the parliament of canada is in relation to how an american might understand that 
Sure, absolutely. I mean, our parliament is um, made up of our members of parliament who represent the different regions across country and represent their, their varying parties. So it's somewhat similar um, to the United States in that regard, although we have multiple uh, parties here. Um, in this case, it's a bipartisan, um, uh, not bipartisan, it's a it's a group that's coming together to be part of the uh, subcommittee on Canadian heritage. Um, and, and they are a part of a, a body that would look into over, oversight uh, departments like Sport Canada, which is the governing sort of mechanism for, uh, supposedly the governing mechanism for all the sport in Canada. So over the next couple of days, there will be hearings in which officials from Hockey Canada, including uh, former CEO Tom Rennie and current president and uh, COO uh, Scott Smith will be before the committee again, answering questions from parliament. Um, there will also be um, uh, leaders from the CHL there as well. So there'll be leaders from uh, the, uh, the the Canadian Junior Hockey League and, and the d- different iterations that will be also be answering questions. Uh, and so it's it's essentially based on the documents that have been requested and the information that's been requested from last month, the MPs will be armed with more information and will be um, asking some, I'm, I'm expecting some very um, direct questions of the leadership of hockey in this country. Uh, and so what comes of that um, remains to be seen. And I think the next couple of days are going to be incredibly uh, telling and, and will reveal uh, other things for all of us to be looking into. All right, Katie, I want to finish with you. Uh, sort of two questions here. The first one is, for, uh, and again, I realize you don't live in Ontario, you live in the States, but from your understanding, um, what kind of criminality could still exist from, an inc- from incidents that happened in 2018 or 2003? So I'm not an expert in this. I mean, I'll, I'll throw that caveat um, and it's different from the U.S. But my understanding is that the statute of limitations is much more um, forgiving than in the U.S., which is generally pretty like strict and limited, though that is changing. So the London police and the Halifax um, are this as a, an open criminal investigation, which means that, you know, th- this is not just, you know, in, in a parliamentary committee hearing or a corporate governance hearing or a potential NHL probe um, to impose like, you know, discipline at the league level. I mean, th- this has the potential um, to be adjudicated or, or you know, prosecuted um, in, in a criminal sense. So I, I mean, I think players are certainly very much aware of that. I think the fact that they, the majority, if not all have retained, um, you know, criminal defense counsel, um, at least in the 2018 case is, is a good indication of just how seriously they're taking that. I would imagine um, for anyone uh, on that 2003 team that, you know, that might be something that they're looking into as well. All right, Katie, I want to finish with you and uh, Ian and Dan, you're uh, more than welcome after uh, Katie answers to um, add your thoughts as well. Uh, Katie, you've, again, you've done a lot of this work and you've done a lot of this work that uh, where um, these investigations or allegations or obviously in many cases, truths have crossed over to multiple different sports. I mean, you know, you've reported on when this has happened in Major League Baseball, and obviously we have a hockey um, story here. Um, You've seen what happened in the United States with some of these organizations that, you know, everybody got fired, all the sponsorships sort of went away, and they had to start anew. Um, 
Do you, do you, how do I sort of ask this? Um, it strikes me that like if parliament or if this really gets to a point where the Canadian government is like th this organization, like we can no longer fund or we can no longer sort of have this, this organization exist that, I mean, massive changes to Hockey Canada. I mean, I don't know if you could shut it down because of the importance of hockey in the country, but, you know, this thing could really blow up um, massively. How do you, I don't know, I'm not really asking a great question, but I wonder if you want to sort of look forward, um, what would be the next steps here when it comes to Hockey Canada? And could that, could that organization dissolve, at least as far as we know it right now? I suspect not. I mean, I, I don't think you know, even USA Gymnastics has never, you know, which is really kind of the um, poster child for institutional protectionism and cronyism and complete and utter mismanagement and just truly horrific negligence has not been just disbanded or decertified. Now they've gone through a number of like sort of house cleanings and overhauls. Um, and those are sort of never ending, but no, I don't see hockey Canada being dissolved. And I should also say that, you know, any sort of real nuclear option as it relates to that will disproportionately impact other programs as well. Women's hockey, para hockey. And so, you know, you don't it, it, youth hockey, like at the very sort of grassroots level. So, you know, I think you've got to be careful of making any sort of sweeping, change like that without you know really trying to understand the unintended implications um but i would be very surprised at the end of this if there we do not see new people at the top um a much different set of guidelines policies procedures approaches to corporate governance um than we saw at the outset of this i think there will be you know, consequences for people who have been, you know, within the very longstanding power structure of Hockey Canada. And I do think there will be um, calls for change. And I think those calls will be answered. I'm going to, I want, uh, I want you guys both to sort of follow up. Dan, I'll start with you. And again, you and Ian are, are the Canadians on this podcast. So you, I think, have a real cultural understanding of like, what Hockey Canada has meant to the country. So I wonder if you can offer your thoughts off what Katie just said. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I mean, this is, um, this is a Canadian story right now. I mean, this isn't just a, a sports story, uh, particularly in, in this country. I'm, you know, the Hockey Canada represents um, this, this sort of entity that, you know, we look at sort of the Sidney Crosby's golden goal. We look at sort of this idea of, of Canadian, pride being tied to our accomplishments on the ice. And those are all belong to hockey Canada to some extent. So, I mean, this is um, something that I think uh, has, has sort of shaken that, that sort of, um, you know, rosy, rosy, rose colored glasses faith in sort of this institution. And when I've, when I've seen uh, these corporations in particular back away, things like Tim Hortons and Canadian Tire, these are brands that have tied some of their identity to hockey in Canada as well. This is incredibly significant. It's not just uh, a company that's sort of stepping aside. These partnerships go back a long way and they're, they're entwined in how I think um, we sell products and the game in this country. And so this is, um, this is enormous. I mean, this is, this is an existential moment for um, not only hockey Canada, but how we view hockey in this country and how we, 
actually discuss um, the culture of this game that's sort of been talked about and, and looked at and criticized in the past, but uh, never at this level. And so I I don't know if, that we're going to see fundamental change, anything enormous, but I, I do think that if ever we were going to, this would be that moment because of the, the public um, perception of what's happening right now, because uh, corporations have backed out, which I think is incredibly significant. Um, and so I, I, I think that there's going to have to be some sort of change, but um, how that change manifests, what it looks like in the future um, is going to say a lot about what hockey means to Canadians in this country. Yeah. And you know what? And and just to, to, to follow up on what Dan is saying, I think this is a great opportunity for all of us to reflect on the way that we view teenage um, athletes in this country, in particular hockey players that, uh, you know, every year we gather around our television sets uh, around the Christmas holidays. Boxing Day is the day that uh, millions of Canadians get around the television and we watch these teenagers and we say that, uh, you know, they do a great job of representing our country and we, we put them on a pedestal and we idolize them. And I, I wonder if there's an opportunity for us to collectively take a second look at the way that we uh, build these young men up and start to say, you know what, I think we need to to pump the brakes a little bit. And I think we need to understand that uh, we might be not in all cases, but in some cases, maybe we're creating monsters and maybe we need to, we need to look at that. And the other thing that I think I hope comes out of this, Richard, is this is a screaming red siren saying we need more women in positions of power in sport uh, and in particular in hockey Canada. And I'd like to think that uh, beyond this, we do get some women at that sea level uh, CEO, COO, that type of thing. Because um, I think when I look back at this story, this is a classic case of men protecting men. Um, and I'd like to think that maybe at the end of this, we, we put some women in positions of power at Hockey Canada. Yeah, I'll just sort of end with this. And I know you three know this, but um, it was very eye-opening as an American to move up to Canada and to see the coverage that the World Junior Hockey Championships get. I mean, it really like was sort of covered as if a massive pro tournament. Um, the, the major networks here highlight these, uh, these they're essentially kids, 16, 15, 17-year-olds, um, and really, um, really penalize them, uh, unquestionably so. And again, I don't want to be a hypocrite as an American. I mean, we Jesus Christ, put the Little League World Series on. So, like, I mean, what does that tell you? But um, – but it, it is it was really eye opening coming from a place where honestly, like if you want to watch the World Junior Championships, you'd somehow try to get NHL network and yeah, it was cool to watch, but nobody really cared. But like coming here, man, it was massive. And I think Ian hits on like there are there's been some ramifications for that uh, over the top coverage. Um, Katie Strang, Dan Ropes and Ian Mendez are all uh, senior writers. At The Athletic, they recently co-authored a recent piece on the allegations of sexual assault and a reckoning for Hockey Canada. Th this story will continue. You'll see their bylines. Um, all three mentioned, obviously, there's parliamentary hearings in Canada this week as we tape this. Um, I strongly recommend that you read the three of them. Katie's work, I think people on this podcast are very well aware of. Dan is a really, really super talented feature writer who finds uh, really interesting things to write about. And Ian is based in Ottawa, uh, covering the Senators and, uh, and the NHL at large. Follow all three of them on Twitter as well. Uh, Katie, Dan, and Ian, thank you uh, so much for your time and reporting. And uh, thanks for coming on the Sports Media Podcast today. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Katie Strang, Ian Mendez, Dan Robeson for their time and, um, and reporting. Uh, their three of our 
have done some exceptional, exceptional work, and uh, you know, it really makes the athletic look good. Make the rest of us who don't do that kind of reporting uh, able to do what we do. Make us look good. So I thank them for for what they've done. Um, if you head to the archives, should be things that uh, you'll find interesting. The podcast before this was Good Morning, New Good Morning Football host Jamie Erdell. Did uh, 56 minutes with her, really interesting woman, and uh, has a very new cool job that she just started uh, this week. For that, a roundtable with Chad Finn and Austin Carp. Uh, a lot of different topics. The big one is baseball screwing fans with its media deals. Short answer is yes. Tom Rinaldi on the uh, Lyman Bostock Jr. Uh, podcast that uh, he's recently put out. His work at uh, Fox. Monica McNutt was a recent uh, guest on this. TJ Quinn on his Brick Griner reporting. Jimmy Pitaro. Chairman came on for a long conversation. Michael McCann on the intersection of legal issues uh, in sports. Um, I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work uh, on this podcast. I want to thank everybody at Keynes 13, and mostly thanks to you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.